millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kia ora and welcome to this edition of Eyewitness for Radio New Zealand International. I'm Lisa Thompson. Join me as I find out how New Zealand documentary filmmaker Tony Forster became an accidental Berliner the night the Berlin Wall fell on the 9th of November 1989. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Fast forward two years to 1989. It's the year the first unofficial text message was sent and Madonna's Like a Prayer ruled the airwaves. At home, the late Prime Minister David Lange resigns due to health reasons and is replaced by Sir Geoffrey Palmer. GST's raised to 12.5% and the Tomorrow Schools programme becomes the basis for reforming primary and secondary education in this country. It was also the year George Herbert Walker Bush becomes the 41st US President and the Exxon Valdez spills 240,000 barrels of oil after running aground off the coast of Alaska. And the residents of Berlin, both east and west, into their 28th year of living with a 155-kilometre wall that divides their city in two. And it's to this city that a young... And it's to this city that a young 30-something New Zealand traveller, Tony Forster, finds himself drawn to. The reason for going to Berlin when I did in 1989 was because a Kiwi friend of mine um, had gone there to try and break into the music world. He'd been there two years, he'd gone there without a word of the language, and he did say to me, if he'd known how tough that would be, he never would have done it. But he survived, and I admire him for that. But he was desperate to have a Kiwi visitor. But I was in love with my new girlfriend in Bavaria, and so I went there for three days, and he complained constantly the whole time. You know, why wasn't I there for a month? But on the third day, I decided to go over and explore East Berlin. On the 13th of August 1961, the German Democratic Republic leadership closed the border to West Berlin and established eight crossing points to be used by West Berliners, citizens of the Federal Republic of Germany and foreign nationals. East Berliners and GDR citizens were not permitted to cross the border. But being a foreigner, Tony Forster was allowed to, and on the advice of his friend Martin, he decided to cross into East Berlin on foot at Checkpoint Charlie, the city's best-known crossing point in the wall during the Cold War. It was the 9th of November, 1989, and despite the momentous events that would take place later that evening, Tony says when he made the crossing at 11am that day, there was no inkling of what was to come. You walked through the actual gap across the street, and it was wide enough for, for cars to go through. You went into a building on beside where they checked the cars, for, you know, for specifically for pedestrians, and there was a waiting room, a passport 
corridor, I call it, and in the middle was a, a little window with a very solid glass, possibly perspex window, with a very typical um, Aryan blonde young man sitting there who stared at your passport photo for a full 10 seconds, then at your face for a full 10 seconds, and then repeated that another three times before final approval and go through. And then on the other side was the, another waiting room, um, and then through into the baggage check area. Um, now, when I came through at that point, there was no one else there. The rooms were totally empty, only surveillance cameras in the ceiling. So you paid your 25 Westmarks, which you were, could not change back again. And everything in the East was very cheap, so people would just gorge on food. Or if, if, you, if you read or spoke German, you could buy books very cheaply within a limited range. There's <laughs> a lot of censored stuff. But that was about it. Um, and then I just went around and explored the city. And what did you build up in your mind, Sai, about what it was going to be like? In many ways, I didn't know what to expect. And I, I did go there with a fascination. Um, two images of shop windows still stick with me. One was of a window with piles of cans. The piles were shaped like pyramids and they were all of one thing and there were only two cans two types of can in the window another window had a single solitary tv set and it looked extremely similar to the very first ones that my family bought in 1961 was it that television started in new zealand it really was like stepping back in time 20 or 30 years after spending the day sightseeing, Tony enjoyed a meal at a restaurant before preparing to cross back to West Berlin about 9 o'clock that evening. However, he was completely unaware that earlier the same evening, East Germans watching a televised government press conference were surprised to learn that they were now free to travel to the West. And within hours, thousands, including a puzzled Tony, had descended on Checkpoint Charlie and other crossings around the city. And it wasn't until I was getting close to the checkpoint when suddenly people started jogging past me to the checkpoint. And certainly in my observation, nobody would run in East Berlin. That was the first sign that something strange was going on. When I got to the checkpoint, there was a big crowd around the door and they weren't being let in. But when I showed my foreign passport, I was let through. Inside it was jam-packed. There was a lot of energy, a lot of conversation. People seemed to be excited, energised, kind of bustling. They weren't checking the bags, unlike earlier again. And when I got through into the waiting room, it was jammed full of people. I would say there would be two or three hundred crammed into that room. But there were also a lot of border guards. And the thing that was most strange was that at one point, after I'd, I must have been in there ten, or ten minutes or so, I think, one of the officers got up on a chair and he spoke to the crowd, and they all, en masse, just turned and went back out into the east. And so I was left alone in this waiting room, surrounded by ten or twelve East German shoot-to-kill border guards and thinking, what's going on? <laughs> it was a bit of a freaky moment. What was going through your mind at this moment? Were you trying to think of a way, how do I get myself out of this situation, should it turn 
for the worse? The mood was positive. And when the crowd went back out into the east, the officers weren't threatening or disdainful the way they they had been earlier in the day. I was I was confused more than anything, I guess. What do you think he had told them? Or do you know now, have you worked out what he said? When I got to the other side of the passport corridor, uh, a couple of young women came through after me and they told me that the crowd had been told just to go home, that they weren't going to be let through into the West. Right. Um, but they'd had permission earlier, you know, a week or so earlier, to visit relatives in the West, and so they were being allowed through. These two women? Yeah. And they could, they, you could communicate with them in English? They had a bit of English, yes. And we went down the angled path around the last guard tower and then looked down the last 50 metres of the checkpoint to the gap in the wall, and that's where there was this huge crowd of people. And as we walked towards them, they started whistling and clapping and cheering, I'm still thinking, what's going on here? <laughs> but what did happen, though, was that I saw a cameraman. And so I approached him and asked him what was going on. And he was the one who told me that they'd heard on the BBC World earlier in the evening that um, the East German government had said they were going to open the border. So they'd rushed down to see if anything would happen. And so I asked him, did anybody else come through before the three of us? And he said, no, you were the first. The first of what turned out to be two million Berliners who streamed from one side of the city to the other that weekend. After staying for hours to watch others come through the checkpoint behind him and the subsequent celebrations, Tony finally had to tear himself away as he had a train to catch and a girlfriend waiting. When I got on the train, there was a moment where I was recording all my memories of, of the night onto a cassette tape. I was in the habit of making cassette tape letters back to my family here. And at one point, it, something just exploded inside me, and yeah, I ended up just unable to speak and tears streaming down my face. The enormity of what you had witnessed yeah. and been a part of. What is it like listening back to those tapes? There are times when I can still, even now, and even just at this, well, actually at this moment, I can feel a little bit of it. It wouldn't take much more to bring the tears back. Mm. It still does happen, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I stayed there for another couple of hours just taking photographs. Every sort of ten minutes or so, some, you know, two or three more people would come through from the DDR and they would wave their papers and the crowd would cheer and, oh, God, it was amazing. <laughs> Excuse me. It's alright, I just can't talk for a moment. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Tell me, Tony, why now, why do you feel 25 years, 26 years later, ready to tell your story and the fact that you were, as the title suggests, an accidental Berliner? Now, that is an, an interesting question to to consider. Um, it never actually occurred to me to make a film about a story from within my own life until these young German people that I met here, film people, I was telling them the story simply because they were German. Um, and it was they who suggested to me, you should make a film about this. But I've also realised 
it's taken that long for me to really kind of absorb how it did affect me, if you like. And the filmmaking is definitely, it was the, perhaps the last stage of trying to come to grips with what the real impact was on me. I mean, the fact it affected me emotionally and, you know, as I've said, still does sometimes, that was clear, but how and why? I mean, you know, I am uh, just a somebody from the other side of the world. Why should it have such an impact on me? But it did. Do you count yourself lucky? Oh, extremely. <laughs> oh, yes. Mm. Mm, it's now about quarter past one and I'm on my way back to Regensburg just for the last two or three days of my train pass. My God, am I ever glad that I extended that train pass to be not only in Germany, not only in Berlin, but to have been through the checkpoint at that time. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I can't think of any other way to describe it. Words fail me. And my God, I would not have missed it for anything. Anything. That was Accidental Berliner Tony Forster ending this edition of Eyewitness for Radio New Zealand National. Please head to the Eyewitness page via radionz.co.nz to see a gallery of photos Tony took the night the Berlin Wall came down, as well as a trailer to his own documentary. Thanks for listening. I'm Lisa Thompson. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favourite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible or anime and under this mask is another mask (laughs) you can discover your new favorites right here on the anime effect listen every friday wherever you get your podcast and watch full video episodes on crunchyroll or on the crunchyroll youtube channel